You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday. Today's conversation is with Lucas Perlman of Mars Discovery District, where Lucas is an international partnership manager. I've had a lot of friends in the professional services field like accounting, consulting, and finance really tell me about you know how they really wanted to work in something that was more impactful and meaningful to them. And some of them have even told me about wanting to take some time off to go on a trip to like a developing country to help out the local businesses there. And well, you know, today's guest did just that. Lucas left Audit to go help out local businesses in Tanzania through a corporation called Anza, which we learned is practically like the Mars Discovery District of Tanzania. And through in this conversation, we go through the decision-making process he had and taking the leap and living a life of foregoing a comfortable professional service life to go be in Tanzania, um, the value of taking career risks earlier on, and what he really does in his new business development role at Mars. And for those of you who want to try something similar to what Lucas did, we discussed a partnership program that he um, it's values highly, and it's something where you can take three months of your time and really try to do something or emulate something that Lucas did. And he also has provided me links to other programs he wanted to share with you as well. And I've included that in the links to the show notes. So check it out after listening to the interview if that's something you really want to look further into. And yeah, this was a great conversation that I really enjoyed that led me into a fascinating new world. And so without further ado, here is my conversation with Lucas Perlman. Hi everyone, um, welcome back to Accounted For. Today we're joined by Lucas Perlman. Hi Lucas, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, great to be here. Yeah, uh, Lucas is the International Partnership Manager at Morris Discovery District. And just to start off with Lucas, can you explain to the audience what the Mars Discovery District in Toronto does? Yeah, so Mars is uh, the largest innovation hub in North America. Um, it's a million and a half square foot facility located downtown Toronto. Um, we do three things really. So the first thing we do is help startups to uh, be successful, grow, scale into global companies. Uh, the second thing we do is work with corporates and large institutions to help them be better adopters of innovation. Uh, particularly those innovations being produced and, and commercialized by the startups we work with. Uh, and the third, uh, at, at a high level, is, is systems change. So working at a, at a policy level, be it with the energy sector, with the, with the health space, at, at a municipal and government level, um, to help pull different levers to help uh, improve Canada's innovation economy more broadly. Um, the, the building itself kind of underpins all of those activities. Um, there's about 200 tenants that are based in the building. Um, they range, but half of those are, are startups. Um, the other half are a mix of corporates such as Facebook, PayPal, Airbnb have their Canadian HQs here. Um, 
really interesting kind of public-private research groups. Um, the Vector Institute for AI is one that's uh, located here. Uh, UHN has uh, the entire East Tower rented out, um, doing everything from stem cell research to immunotherapy. Uh, there's about over 10 investors co-located in the building. Um, so the, the kind of whole idea is that all the different pieces for an innovation ecosystem to thrive are, are co-locating here. Um, but I always reiterate the building is just one aspect of, of, of what we do. Mm. Um, uh, and I recommend anyone come and take a stroll through. It's a public atrium and you can kind of get a sense for things uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I, I think the first time I came to the, the Mars building, it, it was just beautiful. I think the architecture alone is very nice. But when you go in and you kind of definitely feel the hustle and bustle of the energy of all the startups. And sometimes, I think the t- first time I came, it was a University of Toronto career fair. So it was even more busy with more startups. And so that's yeah. actually a really good day to come and see the, the building. It's, uh, it's buzzing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend anyone to just kind of drop by and just see all the different companies here as well. Um, and so kind of taking, I guess, a step back from Mars, we'll dig deeper into it as we go through the interview. But when if we div, look at your kind of career transition, um, you, you know, you didn't really start out in this startup partnership ecosystem. You started off as an accountant. You started off, uh, you went to Laurier and you started accounting and then your LinkedIn profile has you as going to BDO and then we see something very different where you go to Tanzania and yeah. I think you start like a company called Ico Echo, if I'm pronouncing that properly, and then you go to another Tanzanian group called Anza and then I end up in Mars. Um, can you take me through just like the, the decision making process, like maybe from the beginning of why accounting, why did you go there and then why go to a different country and why Tanzania? <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a lot of thought behind some of that and not so much be, be behind other parts of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, like many university students, you're not exactly sure where you want to specialize, what you want to do. Um, I was always very interested in business, um, was pretty excited to go to Laurier. Uh, Laurier has a really, really fantastic co-op program. Uh, and when I was kind of, I got into that and was looking at, okay, where do I want to do my first work placement? Um, you know, all the accounting firms were coming through. Um, a lot of pressure from my parents saying, you know, all the accountants we know have done super well for themselves. Um, I, I was very interested in having a strong financial base. Um, so I set out what the hell and I, and I applied. I've got a, got a job with BDO. I uh, did all my, my co-ops there and uh, in the London office, actually, and then moved to Toronto after graduation uh, and uh, spent my first couple of years in the professional world working out of the, the downtown Toronto for, um, office at BDO. Um, I, it, it wasn't love at first uh, sight, but it, I definitely got a lot of value from it, and I, and I, in, and I speak pretty highly of it in, in hindsight. Um, so, but, you know, I, it was clear that... Um, audit what I was doing wasn't um, going to be a long-term option for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty pretty quickly in working at the firm after graduation, um, I thought, okay, once I get my, my chartered accountancy designation, I'm going to look at applying my financial and business acumen in a more adventurous, interesting, compelling way. I was always very drawn to uh, entrepreneurship uh, and was intrigued by kind of working in a different international context. Um, so once I had passed all the professional exams and knew my, my CA was coming, I started looking at what, are, what would some options be to go you know, do six months somewhere 
um, in a volunteering capacity or otherwise, um, working with small businesses, um, you know, helping you know drive impact via uh, uh, you know business development. Um, so I, that was actually a really challenging search. Um, I didn't have any networks really in that regard, or, or their networks were small. Um, didn't really know much about the field, um, so I was looking around, and, and, a, and a good friend of mine from from high school um, was working. She had an international development background. Was working for this organization called ANZA in Tanzania, uh, and the organization um, was kind of pivoting. Um, they were going through uh, their traditional. They were, they were previously more of a traditional. Um, NGO you'd think of that's working with youth entrepreneurs, um, you know, creating small, small kind of uh, income generating projects with them and, and working a lot on the education side. And they wanted to pivot towards a model that was delivering impact um, through social innovation and, and, and scaling businesses in the country of Tanzania. Uh, and so she connected me to the CEO there. Um, they were playing with this idea of doing kind of like a venture build model, what we call it in, in a Western context, where they're thinking about spinning out business ideas they had and standing up companies under their umbrella. Um, so I went there for the initial six months um, to work with EcoEco, as you mentioned, which was a recycling idea, and to try and do kind of the initial pilot feasibility study of, of, of that that potential business turned out the business model was not a good one, and uh, and we didn't pursue that further. Um, but uh, uh, from there, I what was supposed to be a six month commitment, I ended up staying for two years at Anza. Uh, Anza is kind of like a mini Mars. Um, Anza, uh, we we essentially work to um, help entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs um, scale businesses and, and employ people and impact their communities in Tanzania. So we had uh, a, a value proposition for those organizations. We had an eight-month accelerator program those those um, uh, entrepreneurs were taken through. We had a loan fund that we provided affordable capital to, uh, a, a, along with uh, a, a hub, not nearly to the same scale or size as Mars, but a hub um, that kind of anchored the community there. Um, so I... Uh, I was the managing director of the of the kind of initial iterations of the accelerator. Brought on the first client class, um, you know, built a lot of partnerships there. Uh, I left in December of 2016 for mainly practical reasons. Kind of needed to come home. Just again, family, financial, otherwise. I'm still very, very involved with ANZA. I'm on I'm on the board of, of the organization, and and it's scaled to become probably the leading entrepreneur support organization in the country. Uh, and when I knew I was coming home, I wanted to stay in the kind of startup space. I was extremely interested and passionate about all things innovation and impact through innovation. Uh, and kind of the whole Mars ethos was really attractive to me. Uh, and they're, they're hiring a, a business development role, some of the leading partnerships on an international level. Uh, and it was a good fit. And uh, here we are. So I've been at Mars for... Uh, about 18, just over a year and a half. Mm. Uh, and my pro my primary role, to boil it down to simplicity, is, is to tr try and work with um, partners, whoever they might be, to help connect our growth and scale stage startups that we work with, uh, with new capital and investors, with, with new corporate customers, uh, and just to kind of help scale their growth in, in any way I can. And that's taken many different forms. I work with um, Mars-like entities in New York City to... to to tap the startups we work with into the the different networks of value in New York, 
Um, I work a lot with uh, Mars's corporate partners to get them connected to the startups that we're working with um, to facilitate uh, pilots and proof of pay, proof of concepts, um, really trying to drive new revenue for those, those startups. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Mars is a, a deep, complicated organization, so there's a few other things in there, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it with that. <laughs> no, that's a very good uh, overview of the whole kind of journey. If Digging a little deeper, I think, into the beginning parts, when you mentioned how when you were in accounting, you took the UFI, you passed it, now it's called the CFI, but you wanted to do something different. You wanted to go somewhere for six months and have more impact. Where did that drive come from? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I think it, like pretty early on, I always viewed getting my accounting designation as like a, a stepping stone of legitimacy. And at some point, I would always pivot to apply that in a more general business context. Um, I mean, I was young. I didn't exactly know what that meant. Um, but I knew that I, I knew that I needed to kind of force myself to do that quickly. Otherwise, you're incentivized to stay often or to do things that are, are less um, risk, that are more risk averse and less and, and more traditional from what a financial, uh, you know, what, what traditional accountants would go through. And I knew I didn't want to do something super traditional. So I wanted to do something pretty quickly that would give me um, a very different experience, a very different um, vantage point, I guess. Uh, and and then kind of use that to see okay what would the next thing be um, and it, and it, and you know in hindsight that I'm pretty happy with the the approach I took um, but yeah I mean it, it was from pretty early on that I kind of knew that I wanted to to not spend a ton of time working at the firm and, and really diversify my experience early on in my career mm. and when you were coming down to that kind of decision. Um, can you describe what your kind of system was like? Like, did you talk to, you know, you talked about how you didn't want to go down the traditional route, so did you talk to your, you know, we can, when we're accountants, we kind of see the other side, like the traditional route, because they tend to be our clients. So did you end up like talking to the client side to see what do you do? Like, I didn't really like what I heard, and then you talked to the partners, and you go, yeah, I kind of don't like what I'm hearing. Um, not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean, Working at a firm, you're you're working with and become close friends with people one, two, three, four, five, ten years ahead of you, mm -hmm. and you kind of see where people have gone and what different things that are available to them. Um, I just wasn't really intrigued or interested by moving up the ranks at the firm, or uh, and that's that's not a common against a firm. I speak very highly of BDO. Um, uh, nor was I interested in doing. A financial reporting role, an internal audit role, a controller role. I, I really wanted to get more into an entrepreneurial um, general business capacity. Um, so I didn't do a ton of consultation with um, any like mentors at my at my firm. I talked a lot with my like kind of peer level um, uh, coworkers um, and they thought I was crazy, most of them. Um, and then I the other but the the group I did kind of rely on is um, the friend I mentioned that uh, referred me to Anza, uh, uh, one of my cousins. Uh, he works for the Canadian government, but he um, he had done a lot of work. He worked in West Africa for a year, um, and then he's kind of traveled all around the world through his job um, with, with the federal government. And I kind of learned from him the opportunities, viewpoints, um, experiences he was able to get from doing that. 
and that felt very attractive to me and that kind of led towards the international aspect of, of the decision-making process. Okay, and you mentioned your cousin did something that was international too. Did, did you kind of have that kind of uh, upbringing as well when you were growing up? Um, I mean, we went on trips and stuff. I'm right. pretty, uh, uh, you know, worldly family, but I wouldn't say it was uh, gung-ho or anything like that, <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, I think he he uh, he's quite a bit older than me, and he um, he kind of set the tone a little bit more. Okay, okay. <laughs> but then uh, when you were like, for example, like seven years old, was was a was your dream job kind of related to things like international um, development and things like that, or no, not at all. Yeah. Even honestly, even when I went to to Tanzania, yeah, and even still, I I like didn't view it as international development. And I didn't view myself as a development person, and I, I would be hard to call myself that now, given given what I'm doing. But uh, it's a it's a, I mean, deeply fascinating problem and and challenge that um, when you start to work on is is uh, engrossing. Mm. And th- throughout your journey, um, what what do you think was the biggest obstacle that you kind of had to overcome? Um. I think I've been pretty lucky. Like I haven't really had any major ones. I mean, I think I think doing the accounting process is hard. And I think anyone who's done it and anyone listening who's done it doesn't need me to tell them that. Um, and I think where at the time it can be a grind and stressful, it 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 paid itself back in spades in that like when you've done something hard, things that um, others might think are hard don't seem hard to you so I mean maybe that's skewing my my mind a bit but I mean I think I think the hardest thing honestly was making the initial decision to like jump in and 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 move and and quit the like I I mean I I was you know making good money from for my age at the time and I went to making like five hundred dollars a month um stipend um so like that took some intestinal fortitude but uh I mean I just I kind of had a, a risk reward um, framework in my mind that uh, um, that I was comfortable with, um, but I think I think making that initial decision, um, telling people you're going to do it, and then going and doing it um, was was not easy. But once I did it, I I was pretty confident in my decision. And then the, you know working in Tanzania with Anza, that you know without doing that, I wouldn't have the opportunity to have at Mars right now. I very, very much enjoy what I'm doing here at Mars. I'm very passionate about our mission, um, and you know I've been so yeah. I've been I've been lucky since then, and and, and I have I can't say there's been major, major challenges since then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think that what you described is actually a really tough hurdle for a lot of people in professional services to overcome. So, because uh, so one of my friends who back when I was in consulting, um, that individual really likes volunteering um, the person goes to Colombia goes for like a week at a time and talks to me about how that person wants to do something that can have more impact in more underdeveloped countries but I think there still is that difficulty of but do I really want to give up this lifestyle I have this exactly. ev- this kind of career ladder capital that I've built and I think there is a certain kind of thought behind like and I think there's more induced by the society and kind of the work environment that we live in that 
if you're not going on that streamlined path that you chose with consulting or accounting, for example, and you go somewhere completely different, that what you built up is kind of tossed away, and they have this whole sunk cost fallacy. Exa- yeah, exactly. And, and so then for you, like you, you did mention that you had that, um, I guess, doubt and that kind of that fear, kind of with making that decision. How how did you deal with that? Um, even after you went to Tanzania, did you have any of that when you went? No, um, okay. pretty quickly when I went, I realized it was the right decision. Okay. Um, I actually talked to um, professional colleague or professional friends of mine who are in accounting law, traditional finance, whatever it might be, a lot about this, and that I think it's interesting how um, supposedly risk savvy people are very poor at assessing assessing the risk and reward of opportunities in their own professional and personal lives. So if I took a step back and thought I was 24 or 25 when I went to Tanzania, um, literally the worst thing that could have happened was I came back six, six months later and like probably been able to get a job back at the same firm or a similar, a similar firm and I would have been six months off the partner track if I really, really wanted to continue doing that um, in a 30, 40 year career arc, that's an immaterial uh, a risk. Um, what, what, is a, what is a very much a material risk is not being entirely satisfied with what you're working on and being curious about what, what the other opportunities could be out there and not giving yourself the benefit of testing that opportunity and, and seeing how it fits with you and how you feel about it and, and acquiring that information. Um, time and time again, that this 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 risk based hesitation you you alluded to, uh, the sunk cost fallacy. I like that. I'm going to steal that. Um, it, it rears up, and it and it doesn't really make sense when you take a step back and look at it. Yeah, I think um, it's like I've I've gone through it numerous times too. But it's that the you're kind of weighing the barbell in terms of the contentment. Like most people, I think a lot of my friends too. And I was in this position as well. It's like I'm content. Yes, yeah. it's good enough. Comfortable. Yeah, it's comfortable. But I think you'll never have any growth at all if you never um, push yourself. In, yeah, yeah, push yourself. Go into that zone of that totally. tiny bit of uncomfortability. Um, and but I guess like I think when even when I try to think about like could I could I go to Tanzania and do something? I think I could, but I think I'd be very afraid to even just go to like a completely foreign country. Um, not have any friends come with me, did that kind of stuff? Um, I mean, I no, like I, Tanzania where I lived in Moshi is at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. The organization um, did a great job of kind of welcoming me. There was a, you know, I've moved into a house with a, a actually a, a number of other Canadians. Oh. Um, there, there was a, a community there. It's, it, what I did isn't as hardcore as some other things you you might hear if I wasn't going to a Tanzania is very much a peaceful country it's it's safe Um, I wasn't going to a um, conflict zone or anything like that 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 some people do do and is 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 very important Um, so I mean of course when you're going you're nervous about you know that you know, those, what will the conditions be? And then, to be honest, um, I found that 
your expectations are exceeded. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually ran and still run, and I'm going to plug it here, um, an international professional program um, as part of the accelerator service we offer to our entrepreneurs in Tanzania through Anza, um, where we bring uh, professionals, be they accountants, be they marketers, you know, people who've built technology businesses, whatever, whatever the hell it might be, um, to come and, and work for around three months in partnership with, uh, with an entrepreneur um, and really help kind of build systems that help those organizations scale. And so you know, over the years, we've brought, I don't know, 50 people through. Uh, I haven't heard a negative experience yet. Um, everyone, everyone has a fantastic experience. Uh, they get a lot from it. They add a ton of value while they're there. Um, and many find ways to stay involved um, you know, w- after they've left. Many change their career track and, and get into something more interesting that they learned about while they're doing that, that, that work with us in Tanzania. Um, so that, that um, you know, expected hesitation you get when going and doing something like that is, is quickly, or in my experience, is quickly abated when, when you're on the ground. I mean, I can't speak for every opportunity, obviously, but uh, um, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of my perspective. No, I th- and I think uh, we, you touched upon exactly what my next question was going to be, where I was going to ask if somebody wanted to <laughs> do some kind of uh, opportunity like this, what would you recommend? And so, yeah, I think uh, for the listeners that are very curious, definitely check that opportunity out. I think to you are, I think, my second data point. So my first data point, um, he came on the podcast earlier, was um, he's a growth lead at Wave Financial called okay. David Axler. And he talked about how he went to Kenya after graduating. And uh, I think I think it was Kenya. But when he went, kind of a civil war broke out from an election rigging, and the entire country got shut down. And like the banks and everything shut down. And so he talked about that experience. And that practically changed his entire route where he did it decided not to go to law school and went this whole kind of tech route yeah Um, i mean it's (laughs) there's something to be said for uh just putting yourself in a very different environment context for a period of time and giving yourself again new information new experience and learning you know wow i really do handle myself well in these types of things or wow this this field is fascinating um i why was i thinking about doing something else just because i was expected to do that because that's the traditional career path um so yeah i mean i can totally um jive with what uh, this this other person experience was i can't speak for the the uh the election rigging experience <laughs> but uh yeah no and i mean jumping around a little bit here you talk about the sunk cost fallacy and the, and the career path i mean the world of work is totally different now at mars and my team we, we spend a lot of time working with um you know executives at, at large enterprises and, and talking about the future of work and how to prepare their organizations from a people and process standpoint to be successful going forward. The average, the average uh, um, tenure at a company is around two years for someone now. That No one stays at a business for 15, 20 years anymore. Uh, and you know, rather than career pathways, what's going to be coming up is, is more ones of skill pathways where they don't look linear. You're jumping around between different things. Um, so going and doing these different experiences and, and giving yourself that learning opportunity, that's what's going to make you successful over a 40-year period of time, not uh, you know, marrying yourself to one organization or one corporate perceived ladder of, of, of growth. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think uh, you see a lot of articles talking about, oh, the gig economy is coming. And I think, I don't remember exactly who said it, but it, 
they alluded to how our parents' generation stayed in one job for five, ten years. Our generation is staying at um, five, like five jobs within five years, mm-hmm. and the next generation is probably going to have five jobs at one time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for the whole gig economy side of things, but uh, I mean, the, the, the data on, uh, on how things are changing is, is clear. You know, it's, it's a, a, very, a very unique and, and, and complex uh, working world now. There's multi-generations, there's, you know, industries being overhauled by and constantly changing um, via technology, uh, different skills being demanded, um, the ability to be adaptable is with, in my opinion, without question, the most valuable innate quality you can develop in yourself and you can get good at it. Um, putting yourself in ambiguous situations, you know, taking a, f- a bit more risk than you normally might be worth taking, that you normally might be comfortable taking, you can really build that adaptability muscle and, and learn a lot about yourself in the process. Mm. And for you, I think um, that Tanzania experience was probably very valuable, you know, to be away from the paycheck drug and actually get to be more self-aware of who you are. Uh, what would you say is has been like a unique strength or kind of key strength areas that kind of were discovered throughout your own process? Yeah. Um, so I'll speak both like from a training standpoint and then from like a personal standpoint, I guess. Yeah. I have to say the accounting experience like has proven me proved me very valuable. Um, and and we bring armies of accountants to to Tanzania. The attention to detail, the ability to um, thrive in challenging situations. You know, a lot of people have come from an environment where they've worked in demanding hours with demanding deadlines and um, stress. Um, that uh, you know, that just your your expectation of of quality is pretty high. And that's valuable. It doesn't matter what you're doing, where you're doing it. That's a very valuable skill. Um, so that that served me well. Um, I was able to, you know, go into to the organization in Tanzania and, and you know work with the 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 other executives on the team and, and help to build more structure, more form, formalize the organization to help it scale. Um, you know, still a lot of work to be done there, but uh, that that really really helped me. Um, I think having a financial view of problems of the world um, gives you an idea of, um, you know, what's necessary to what's required to make things actually work and make them possible. So, um, I felt in 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 Tanzania and, and again at Mars, I was able to bring uh, a level of pragmatism to the vision uh, that the organization was setting but not bring the vision down at the same time. Um, so again, being able to, to maintain uh, you know, a high level big picture perspective, but, uh, not, uh, but you know, don't, don't uh, get it, I don't get hung up on the nuts and bolts of the situation either. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I felt it was a really good test of your ability, my ability to deal, deal in ambiguity and, and strange situations sometimes um and again that's something that that i have developed further um i don't think i like have an innate ability there but um the experience i went through have have built again i i feel that i'm i'm i've built an adaptability muscle through through a result of of what i've done over the last four years or so 
And so now taking doing more into I guess what you do now at Mars, you described it at your role as very more business development. Mm-hmm. Um, if so, for that kind of role, if we were to let's say divide your time spent into different bucket areas, mm-hmm. how would you divide it? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'd say one of the things. I really, really love about my job here, and one of the things that I was looking for when I left accountant is not one of my days is the same as another. Um, it's very rare that I'm taking a prescriptive approach to something and then just applying it over and over and over with a different client. Um, so I spend most of my time um, connecting and building relationships with international investors that want to invest in Canadian companies, um, international um, hubs, accelerators, incubators, figuring out are there ways we can work together, um, co-programming to uh, to the benefit of both our kind of stakeholder uh, startups that we support. Um, another bucket of my time is spent kind of on the strategy of, of my team here at Mars. Mars is broken out by sectors. There's four sectors that we work with. Okay. Clean tech, health, fintech, and enterprise technology. I'm in the enterprise group, so really working with my team on um, the, the kind of strategy of our, of, of our group, where we're we going to prioritize our time, what levers of value we're we going to try and unlock. Um, and then the other thing I spend most of my time on is... Um, working as uh, kind of a, a go-between with our, our corporate partners and our corporate partner engagement team uh, and uh, the startups that we represent. So, for example, um, you know, we work with enterprise technology. This is everything from uh, HR technology, sales and marketing, IT infrastructure, anything that enables the functions of an enterprise to work better. So last week, I, I gave, a, gave two presentations to small groups of HR executives from, from corporates that we work with in the, in the Toronto community on how to use technology to improve employee experience. Um, so, you know, a lot of different stuff. Um, and it is a very ambiguous um, role a lot of the time. And um, that adaptability muscle and that experience that I've mentioned in the last couple minutes um, is, is, has really, really been helpful in, in the work that I do here. Mm. Did I, is that a clear enough answer to the, the bucket question? Kind of. Yeah. I, I wanted to dig into a little more. Um, so to kind of help me get my, wrap, my head around it is, um, so are the startups and these various companies that want to come, in part of the, come into the hub your clients, like your customers? So yeah, I mean, I should have given more context up front, but so Mars is an independent nonprofit charity. Um, all the services we provide to startups are, are, are free. Um, and um, we um, are funded via, a, 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 some of our money comes from the provincial and federal government. Some of our money comes from the real estate building itself. It's a business. Uh, and then the work we do with, with larger institutions and corporates is fee-for-service work. Um, so all the startups we work with, um, it's, it's, it's free of charge. It's important to note that not all the companies we work with have to be co-located in the facility here with us. Actually, the vast majority are not co-located in the facility with us. And the other thing I always, I always need to qualify and forget to qualify is that we work with um, traditional, like, we, we traditionally work with later stage startups. So the startups we engage with um, have usually at least a million dollars in, in annual revenue. Um, and you know they have an enterprise client or multiple enterprise clients. These are these are uh, 
far past the idea stage and, and the things they care about are um, getting new investment or more investment, getting new customers, building the talent side of their organization and, and really just scaling from a strategic standpoint. Okay, so there goes my my opportunity to ask Mars to help me out. My <laughs> we do have some uh, uh, offerings for early stage entrepreneurs, um, and they're they're also um, relatively free or, inex or inexpensive. All so, right, yeah. all right. I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> consider that. Um, and so, just you mentioned how you know you wanted a role where not every day is the same, and I think this is an answer that I used to give a lot when I was a consultant because that's. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's an answer I used to give a lot when I was a consultant, and I when I used to get that answer, I was always very dissatisfied. Um, so if we were to even take a snapshot of today, mm -hmm. can we? Can you kind of walk me through what you did um, prior to us having this uh, interview? So we start recording at eleven a.m. So yeah. what was your schedule like prior to? So I was late today. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, so I, I got in here. Um, one of the things I'm working on right now is we have 10 investors from New York City coming uh, to Toronto next week as, as there's a big conference happening in the tech ecosystem next week. Um, so I'm doing that in partnership with, with a couple other uh, groups we work with. Um, so I've been spending the morning trying to figure out exactly where um, we're going to put them next Monday when they're doing a bunch of speed dating meetings with startups in our portfolio. So I'm literally running around trying to figure out a place a, a place to put them in the building. Um, uh, yesterday, or like I said, the rest of the day today, I'm uh, putting together a short list of, of startups for um, setting up a, a day of meetings with one of our corporate partners who's specifically interested in innovations on the way they hire and recruit talent in their organization. Um, so you know, based on my knowledge of our startups in our portfolio, Yesterday, I did a call with that organization. Today, I'm putting that list together. I'm going to send it over to them. From that, we're going to figure out who are the companies we're going to, we're going to introduce them to. Um, on Monday, I'm hosting those investors. Uh, and then we have a dinner that we're taking them to with a, with a, a number of, of local investors. Um, last week, I mentioned I was giving presentations to executives. So the, the moral of the story here is it's very different. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of what I do is, is that relationship building. But then when it comes time to how do you action that, I need to operationalize that and make it work. Um, and that's where um, a nuts and bolts ability is, is helpful as well. And it, um, if you could generalize, would you say that what, you do, what you're doing right now is maybe like 60, 80% similar to what other people in business development would be doing? Or would you say yeah, I mean, unique? business development varies a lot depending on the goals of your organization. I, I view some people call business development people salespeople. I, I, yeah. I don't think they're the same. Um, I, you know, someone once told me that you know, business development is kind of doing a lot of um, strategic relationship building um, that will enable the sales function of your organization to operate more effectively. We're a, we're a very unique organization and a nonprofit, so you know, those lines are a lot more blurred. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah. If in the in a in a business development world, relationships are, are everything, and and um, being opportunistic is really important as well. And and that uh, I would imagine that's transferable across mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. industries, different organizations. Yeah, I think that's that's been something that I definitely did look into as well when I was on my kind of personal like, career hunt as well. Like, what is the difference between sales and business development? Yeah. And there's a lot of different articles that 
either are for and say, oh, it's very different. And a lot of articles I also say, oh, it's the exact same. But so from my personal experience, I my first job um, as an internship was for a media startup. It was an mag- online magazine startup. And I, hi- I was hired as a business development person. But what I did was I just did hundreds of cold calls, practically yeah. a sales function. <laughs> and I mean, that's the other, that's the other reality of working uh, in resource-constrained environments, be they startups, be they nonprofits, be they in different countries, is uh, you have to be excited about getting asked to do very different things on a regular basis. Right, from, right from raising funding to taking the garbage out. Right. <laughs> and so I'm sure this constantly will, has changed and will change in the future for you as well. But right now, what activity tends to give you the highest amount of like flow? Like you just get flow stages, engrossed in it, you're loving it, you forget to eat. What activity <laughs> gets you that? Yeah, so um, the international part of my role is what I was initially hired for. Um, and my roles evolved a lot since then. And I really, you know, started out that process, like followed first principles. I talked to a, a lot of startups in our portfolio and was like, look, if, if Mars had the ability to help you internationally, what are the things that you would value? And every single one said, um, warm, teed up leads and introductions to potential corporate customers and the executives who are making the decisions on the other end uh, in other countries and then potentially investors as well. So I focused all my energy on doing that. And when I was going and looking at what's happening in New York, what's happening in London, what's happening in Asia and Europe, I, I was seeking out organizations that excelled in their ability to, to make those connections to, to corporates um, in, in the specific context of the sectors that we care about. Um, and in that, in that kind of outreach and discovery and learning, I realized that there, um, you know, while Mars was doing a lot of good work in that regard, there was, there was still another kind of level up we could take it. So I spend a lot of my time now, and the thing that I'm really, really excited about, about figuring out how to do it and, and, and how to crack it is how do we scale that ability to connect um, our startups that we work with to um, their corporate counterpart, their corporate buyer, their corporate partner um, here in Toronto. Um, so I'm doing a lot of kind of test events, um, intimate roundtables, ways to really create Mars as this neutral third party, um, you know, all guards down area where if I am a, a head of HR in a large organization or uh, head of uh, head of head of sales or marketing, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, my my world's changing. How do I how do I use technology? How can technology help me? That Mars is a place for them to come to, but at the same time, we're including our startups in that effort and um, kind of creating an um, opportunity for connection between those two groups. Hmm. So it's really all about driving collaboration and partnership between corporates and and startups. And and I think. You know, this might sound, it might sound complicated often when I tell people that. It's not the logical thing you think of, of hubs, incubators, accelerators doing. But when you're working with later stage startups and, and as our technology ecosystem in Toronto has evolved, this is the type of thing that, that organizations like Mars need to, need to do well. Um, because that can be the difference of, of uh, driving major, major growth for, for some of these organizations, for these startups. And, you know, so I'm doing a lot of different little things to try and move the needle in that regard. And that's the thing that I'm really excited about right now because, 
it's 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 quite greenfield, right. which is fun. And so, we, with that kind of greenfield um, uncertainty with everything that you're doing, how do you measure your own performance? Yeah, that's a really hard question. Um, I have a really really good relationship with uh, my team and and my boss, um, and. I, I, I'm gonna be honest, we don't have like a hardcore, um, you know, uh, quantitative KPI dashboard <laughs> for this or anything. It is really gut feel at this moment. Right. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big, uh, actually, I, I, this might sound like something you hear all the time, but I, I'd recommend any traditional professionals who are listening to this to just read The Lean Startup. Um, By Eric Ries. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, don't take it as gospel, but but uh, that approach to problem solving is one that I try and take here as much as possible. So when we have a hypothesis of how something is going to work, I think about, okay, what am I trying to learn from this? What am I trying to get from this? We'll go and test something. I bias action as much as possible, and our team does as well. And then based on what we learned, what do we do next and how are we going to go from there? So that's that's kind of how we're measuring success. Like. If um, you know an event we ran to try and you know bring those two groups together totally flopped on its head and like you know pissed off both groups, we learned that that's probably not the best way to go about doing something, and we need to we need to um, approach in a different way. Um, but uh, it's it's more of a pursuit of solving that problem that is is how we're measuring our success. So success can look like. You know, ultimate success for us in that specific kind of greenfield area that's exciting me right now is um, a paid collaboration between the corporate and the startup. Um, so when that happens, you know we've had a lot of success, but it's a very complicated, there's a lot of moving pieces to that happening. So we do look for other data points there. Um, how, you know, are we able to actually get meetings for these groups? When the meetings happen, what's the follow-up action? Um, are we getting inbound requests from um, our existing and, and you know potential corporate partners for this type of thing? It, it, it is a little gut feel driven right now, um, uh, which you know probably isn't the best thing. But uh, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Oh no, yeah, it, 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 it does, and I think I personally feel that gut feelings are actually a very strong um, indicator of what actually is probably the right thing. I think um, um, have you. Have you heard of like Simon Sinek? Yeah. Yeah. So have you read his book? I haven't actually. Okay. No. Uh, so I, I just read this, his book like I think a few months ago and it's still fresh in my mind. But yeah, it's, uh, the gut feeling comes from our, I think it's like our neocortex, which is like our lizard brain. But generally that makes all the decisions and it's just up to the prefrontal cortex part to just rationalize the decision with whatever data we have. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I think gut decisions definitely, sometimes I try to be more gut decision oriented instead of letting the data dictate everything because sometimes data can actually be manipulated to show something different. Yeah, I mean like we still have a hypothesis of value we're pursuing mm -hmm. and we do have a goal that we're pursuing towards. Uh, it, it, I don't want to make it sound like it's it's totally like, you know, flying by the seat of our pants because it's not at all. Yeah, it seems uh, quite systematic the yeah, way you guys are Yeah, it's it. just not, it's not super Quantitative. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to be comfortable with that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you talked about how you know, the current projects that you're working on are super exciting for you. And what what about that? Do you feel is actually motivating you constantly? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I uh, the things that the the reason why I had such a good good experience in in Tanzania with Anza, and I still, you know, spend a lot of time working on that today, is I was able to be involved in like the creation of something and and starting and building something and and every minute of work I put into that, I could see it. Um, I think this this kind of you know area of work that I'm excited right now about Mars, I can really, really see that. If I don't do something, it just doesn't happen. Um, and that's something that I've realized is pretty important to me. I've, I've obviously had an affinity to smaller organizations since leaving the accounting firm. And I mean, I think, I think this is a challenge that large organizations deal with in every industry. How do we you know, show our employees that their work is reflected in, you know, our success, our failure, whatever. Um, and, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but I, I think seeing that is a lot of the drive behind why, why it gets me going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so now kind of we're hitting upon the final rounds of our interview. And these are kind of questions that I like asking a lot of our guests. Um, what belief do you feel that you have goes against conventional wisdom in terms of career or business? Hmm. I, I hear this question get asked a lot and like, oh, yeah. you know, you think you'd have a go-to answer. I don't really have a great one. I mean, I, I would go back to the earlier part of our conversation and just like challenge that what you thought when you graduated or what you th what people tell you is the best way to go about doing something is is usually the r not the right thing for you mm. um, I mean it, that's not exactly answering your question but uh, again going back to y risk in career is not as is really overweighted that the, the risks are a lot smaller in, in taking chances in, than the average person thinks they are mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now kind of doing a bit of a forecasting exercise. So if we were to look 10 years out into your future and let's say, you know, financial, all that's taken care of. Um, and so you have no worry on that side of just getting your needs met. What do you envision yourself doing? Like what would your dream week look like? Mm -hmm. you, hope to look, you hope it would look like 10 years from now. Really good question. And I wish I knew the answer. Um, I mean, I'm, the, the one thing I'm certain is that I'm always going to be involved with um, working with innovation, with technology, and um, working for the, the advocacy of capital flowing towards those activities. Um, so, I mean, 10 years from now, I'd love to be doing some semblance of, um, you know, working for, with um, startups that are building technology solving problems that I'm super super excited about uh, and then working um, at the intersection of uh, de international development in East Africa and uh, and innovation um, and you know I hope I hope there's a lot of breadth in that and it's not just one thing mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. no excellent and now we did a bit of forecasting but if we were to now go back historically if um, 20 year old Lucas was to look at you now, so that Lucas is probably still in university. What do you think the emotional reaction would be to what he's seeing? <laughs> I, I'd like to think he'd be pretty pumped, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I would have guessed I'd be here. 
um, at all. But I also, at the time, was had no clue. You know, like that's just a reality of what happens. Um, but I like to think he'd be pretty excited. <laughs> and is there any advice that you would have liked to have gotten when you were twenty that you know now? Yeah, I would have. I would have loved to have someone to tell me to, to take way more risk. Um, I like had to force myself to do that, and there weren't that many people telling me it was a good idea. Um, and I actually think um, our uni- I, I love Laurier, and I think the Laurier Business Co-op Program is the most underrated business program in, in Ontario. Um, but uh, you know, really, they should have done. A, I would have loved to have more advocacy for try different stuff, take more risks, be more entrepreneurial. Um, that would have that would have gone a long way. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, definitely. I think um, the co-op is actually an amazing opportunity to take a lot of risks. Yeah. Something that I only realized way late. Yeah. Way later. Yeah. To, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I think so for for Waterloo because I, I went to Waterloo and um, I had four co-op terms and so I did three in accounting and everyone everyone does all four in accounting. Yeah. And yeah. On, in hindsight, that's just I I don't yeah, get it. Take three shots on goals. Yeah. Exactly. Like. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so like there's like a. Sh- guaranteed short-term relationship no yeah, strings exactly. attached and uh yeah like i finally got my head woken after a third term to say you know what yeah i'm gonna quit and maybe i'll come back if i want to yeah but and you gotta re- different. you gotta be able to rely on yourself too that when push comes to shove you're gonna be able to create opportunities for yourself should that decision you made not pan out but yeah. you'll be able to make the next one and and uh you know walk with a bit of swagger and 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 be successful for yourself right yeah definitely um, yeah, no, this was a really fun interview, and I uh, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for coming on. Lucas. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This, this was fun. Thank you again. All right, great. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes, and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way, and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.